Man, I, uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I looked out and saw so many of you here. Just to give you a heads up, anytime a pastor preaches on repentance on Sunday morning, attendance is always lower on Sunday night. And so I want to thank you for being here uh, this evening. Uh, we're journeying through the book of Matthew, uh, verse by verse, and uh, Matthew 13, the text that we're on tonight, has probably been one of the most difficult texts that I've ever studied, um, because there are three major uh, beliefs on the parable of the mustard seed, and three of my favorite preachers all disagree. One interpretation is that the birds that come to take uh, residence in this uh, bush that becomes a tree is an evidence of false prophets and how the kingdom of God is sometimes tried to be perverted by false teachers. Another one believes that the birds represent the Gentile people who have been brought into a family that they did not belong to. And another believes that it is just a sign that the kingdom of God is going to grow and thrive and to have purpose. And uh, up until about five o'clock this afternoon, I still didn't know which way I believed on this text. And so um, all th two sermons were prepared this morning, and then I had a third one prepared for uh, whichever way that I really felt the Lord uh, said. And so tonight I want you to know that um, there is never a problem with God's Word. The problem is always on our end. And you say, well, Jake, I've never had a question about the Bible. I've never read any part of it that didn't confuse me. Look up here. Lying is a sin. All right. And so I just wanted to be honest with you tonight. This has been an extremely big struggle for me because uh, when I stand before you, I always have the confidence that God's Word is perfect. There are no mistakes, no errors. It is God-breathed. And I believe the Spirit of God leads us and guides us and directs us to learn it and study and, and grow in our faith. But there are some passages of Scripture that truly um, you can pray about it, you can study it, and yet you can still stand there and think, wow, God's ways are just so much higher than ours. And as one preacher said one time, if I understood and could figure out everything about God, he wouldn't just be that amazing, would he? But he is. And so tonight I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God and do my best to explain it to you in a way that I think honors God. But I also want you to know tonight that if you read through this and feel that it could be something a little different, uh, there is not an error in that. And so, um, but the Bible is true in every area. And so I want you to think about this tonight with me, the idea of something multiplying. I was just reading this afternoon that the price of a Disney World ticket in the early 70s was $3.50. Today, that same ticket will cost you $160. If it was keeping up with inflation, the tickets at Disney would be $26. Growth has outpaced anything else. It used to be that you could get a night hotel at the two biggest uh, hotels at Disney for somewhere between 39 
$59 a night. Now that whole same hotel room is anywhere between $350 and $500. The growth of that cost has outpaced inflation. And tonight I want to talk to you about something that the kingdom of God is growing and expanding and multiplying even if it doesn't appear that way to us. You see, when you and I watch the news, and rightfully so, we realize that our nation is in bad shape. When we watch the news, we realize that some of the things that we have always cherished and held on to are no longer that way. And sometimes it's easy to think as Christians, as we watch things fall apart, as we watch a country that we love absolutely make no sense most of the time, and it's easy to think sometimes that, that God is failing in what He is trying to accomplish. But tonight I want to encourage you that that is never the case. God's church is always growing. God is always at work. God is always moving. And when Jesus teaches through these parables in the 13th chapter, He really does explain that in not a way that everyone's going to understand. Because when the world looks at Christians, especially Christians around the world, you look at Christians in Afghanistan, you look at Christians in China, they have nothing. They've lost their homes, they've lost their wealth, they've lost everything, and many times they've even lost their lives. And the world looks at them and says, why would you allow that to happen to you? Why would you allow the things that this world treasures to be taken from you. And that is because the world doesn't understand that what we have been given cannot be taken away. What we have been given, the hope, the joy, the peace, the understanding of salvation is not in this world. You see, God has built me a mansion that Biden can't tax. You see, God is storing up treasures for those that love Him, according to the works that we're doing, not salvation, that the IRS can't confiscate. You see, there is a place that I am going to go one of these days, and I actually just asked Janice this morning if she knew the song, Land of the Living, and it's this idea and this principle that when you get to heaven, the sun, the earthly sun, the, the celestial sun, will be a thing of just memory. Because the Bible says there will be no need for a physical son because he will be the light that we need. You see, these things that the world treasures and cherishes, money and fame and power, I want you just to stop once in a while and think, those things that the world pursues when they become sick, when their life is about to end, none of those things matter. They'll spend everything they have to make their life on this earth just a little bit longer, just a little more time, because they have no hope that what is to come is better than what is here now. And so tonight as we study through these parables, I want you to continually be thinking that as Jesus is talking about this, He is talking about the great things that come as a result of God saving the lost. And God building His church. And so if you would pray with me. And we're going to jump right in. 
Father, I thank you tonight for your word. And Lord, I'm thankful for its promises. Lord, I'm thankful that when I don't understand everything, Lord, that you are in complete control. So Father, tonight I pray that you would give me wisdom that I don't have in my own, that you'd give me leadership and direction through the power of your spirit that I didn't come with. So Father, I thank you for the wonderful privilege to gather together and to study your word. I pray, Lord, that it would help us in a world of uncertainty to know that you were certain. Lord, in a world that is shaking and changing and constantly in flux, that you are the rock of ages. So, Father, I ask that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you're taking notes tonight, and I hope that you will, I want you to write down, the kingdom will grow and spread. Look here in Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 31. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And so we see here that this mustard seed, something that is small and insignificant, it is actually not the smallest seed in the world, but if you are looking at Israel and in this time, that would be the understanding of this small seed that has grown into something that is really not very useful. Uh, it's not very useful for shade. It's more like a giant brush that can get up to 15 feet. But yet what starts so small, it says here, has grown into a place that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. This is important, I think, because when you see a bird and its nest, it's very significant. It's where it has its baby birds. It's where it feeds them. It's what protects them from predators. And so it's this idea of life. It's this idea of thriving. And so what we see in Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus Christ being spread is that what seems so small and insignificant to the world, the gospel message... Right, The Bible says that to the proud and to the wise of this world, the preaching of the gospel is what? Foolishness. How can a message about a Jewish carpenter who tried to gather a following, but yet ended up dying, be a message that brings hope? In history, you study about Julius Caesar. You study about the great Roman Empire. You, you study about the great things in, in history and the empires that have been built. And, and if you probably watched the series of the men who built America and the great things that they were able to accomplish. But from a world's perspective, who doesn't believe in a resurrection who doesn't believe in salvation through Jesus, the story of Jesus is quite pitiful in their eyes. A man who started a following, but yet died. The twelve followers of that movement, one betrayed him. Ten of them died horrific deaths. And the last one spent the remainder of his days on an island alone. But for us, the believer, the child of God, the ones who know what the salvation message and the person of salvation have done to us, what seems so insignificant to the world changes everything about our lives. It gives us hope. It gives us joy. It gives us forgiveness. And what you and I know today is that the kingdom of God is growing and expanding. I know every Sunday when I preach that not everyone will be saved. But I have this great hope that some will be saved. 
that God will be at work in the hearts and lives of people. Why? Because God is preparing soil. God is working and moving. God is doing things that I can't explain. Because listen to what goes on in verse 33. And it says another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And many times in the Bible, leaven is representative of sin and it's representative of negative and, and a negative connotation. But here in the context of what Jesus is talking about, right, the growth of the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of God being a hidden treasure, which we're going to look at. Many scholars, and what I believe as well, is that this is a positive thing. Because when you look at what it takes for the kingdom of God to spread, the kingdom of God does not big, need big buildings. The kingdom of God does not need finances and, and all of these wonderful, amazing things that are helpful. But the gospel needs two things. The first is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that goes before us and convicts and works and moves. And it needs a messenger to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. The plan of salvation was purchased through the man of salvation on the cross through the resurrection. He has done everything necessary to justify the loss from their sin. But yet the Spirit of God, the Bible says, has come into the world to convict the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. And as He is at work, we join Him. You need a plane ticket to go around the world. Sometimes you need nothing just to walk across the street. Sometimes you might have to put a tank of gas in your car to drive where God wants you to go. But really, if the Spirit of God is at work and the child of God is willing to go, that is all that is necessary for the kingdom of God to grow. Seems insignificant. We spend hours in personnel meetings, budget meetings, finance meetings, missions meetings, and all those are necessary. But yet truly all we need to do is join the Spirit of God where He is working and the kingdom of God will grow. It will thrive. That's why Matthew the 16th chapter and verse 18 said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I am thankful for the wonderful privilege of having went to seminary. I am thankful that this church paid for half of my seminary. But can I tell you something? I probably learned more bad habits in seminary than I learned good. That's just the honest truth. When I was just here learning from Brother John and watching what God has worked, there was nothing God couldn't do. I went and sit in a class and it was about you've got to do this and you've got to preach this way and don't talk about this and never mention this from the pulpit and, and you never want to do this in the committee meeting and I want you to look up here and know that I have made every single one of the mistakes that my seminary professor said don't make. Every one of them. But I can promise you this. God is at work. You are not that important. You might be a better speaker than someone. You might have a better personality than someone. You might have a better smile than someone else on television that preaches. But as God is at work, and you will be faithful to join Him, God can do amazing things. And that's what He's saying here, that from this small mustard seed, from this far small amount of leaven, it will spread, and it will grow, and it will do. And so tonight I want to encourage you, 
I want to encourage you as a stay-at-home mom. I want to encourage you as a working father or mother. I want to encourage you tonight as a Sunday school teacher. I want to encourage you wherever God puts you. If you will follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and present the gospel, God will use you for His glory. You say, Jake, I'm not as good as public speaker as someone else. Don't worry about it. God wants you to be faithful. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to yourself once in a while and say you probably shouldn't say um 37 times every two sentences. Or as you know, in my personal problems, that I don't pronounce words very good. So as I was sitting over there during the first song, I started thinking, if I don't go out there and listen to Levin, I'm going to mispronounce it wrong. I'm going to mispronounce it wrong. So I went out there and listened to the guy from Bible Gateway say, Levin, 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 Levin. And so I stood out there and said, Levin, Levin, Levin. This morning, and you think this is ridiculous, but it's true. The gentleman's name from the text this morning. Last week, I pronounced it Doge. I had practiced all week. And really the pronunciation is the egg. And I thought, I'm not getting up there and saying the egg. They're going to think I'm talking about breakfast. And I went there and listened to Bible Gateway. And he pronounced it over and over and over and over again. And I got up there and thought, I'm putting too much emphasis on the G. And so this morning I got up and no one said a word to me. But I said, the egg. But those are little things. But if you tonight really want God to use you. Wherever He has you, if you will first ask God to forgive you so that there is no sin in your life from hindering the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us that sin will hinder what God is doing in your life. Grieving the Holy Spirit. But if you'll get along with the Spirit of God and say, Lord, search me, cleanse me, forgive me, which I could have swore I heard someone preach this morning, and you'll be faithful to follow Him, God will use you. He will use what He has given you to grow and spread the kingdom. Second thing I want to show you tonight is, though, the kingdom is more valuable than anything. We've already looked at these other verses through our preaching, so jump down with me to verse 44. And if you want to hear the sermons on the tares, you'll have to go back. But it says in verse 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that the wise are willing to sacrifice anything. In order to get it. What keeps people. From trusting Jesus Christ. As their Lord and Savior. They're afraid. Of what they will give up. One you have to give up. Being in charge of your life. The Bible never teaches you. Anywhere that you can be saved. But not make. Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. It's a two way street. When he saves you and buys you, he is in charge of you. Now, I didn't say to elbow your husband or your wife. Jesus is in charge of your life. His directions for you 
and your marriage and your finances and your time and your calendar, you were purchased at a price. And you and I, the Bible says, are slaves to Him. Servants to Him. He is our Master. We see here though that it talks about these beautiful pearls. And one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, he was willing to sacrifice everything for the gospel. And now I want to ask you that question. What in your life has become more important to you than Jesus? Now the church answer is nothing. Nothing. But I can promise you, this church sometimes becomes more important to me than Jesus. There are days when I get up and get ready to study and spend time with God that something happens. And I'll be like, well, Lord, I'll, I'll spend some time with you while I'm driving. But, you know, I've got to get here and I've got to do this and I've got to make this meeting and I've got to make this visit and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Then I think about lunchtime. You know what? I'll sit down. I'll spend some time in prayer. I'll spend some time in the Word. I'll, I'll really spend time with the one who died for me. Something else will happen. And then I'll go through that entire situation. And then by the time that the day's over, I'll realize something. I've given you everything I've had. And Him what? Nothing. Now, I know you don't have that struggle. I know that when you wake up before you've had your coffee, you wake up with your feet on the floor praising God and singing His testimony and, and worshiping Him and, and you've got that 10 minutes blocked off and it's a time of, of moving and working by God and nothing ever comes between you and Him. But some of us can make other things more important. Some of us can make our family more important than Jesus. Some of us can make our jobs more important than Jesus. Some of us can make our hobbies more important than Jesus. But yet the Bible says that we are to love the Lord our God with all that we are. You say, Jake, that's not possible. It's not possible to love Jesus the way the Bible says. And friends, if that's the case, the Bible's wrong. And if the Bible is wrong on one thing, it's wrong on what? Everything. If Jesus tells us how we are to love Him, that is how we are to love Him. You say, Jake, I just can't love him that way because there's something in your life that you love more. There's something in your life that has become more important to you than him. But what Jesus says is the kingdom of God, which is truly the salvation message of Jesus, is the most valuable thing that will ever happen in your life. The Bible talks over and over again about what can wash away my sin. What's the next word in that song? Okay, so let me, let me, I'm not very good of hearing. What can wash away my sin? And so if there's only one of it in the world, it means it's probably very valuable, precious. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. There is nothing more valuable than salvation for you or for other people. You say, Jake, we need to feed the hungry. Absolutely. You say, Jake, we need to clothe the naked. Absolutely. You say, Jake, we need to build houses for the homeless. Absolutely. You say, Jake, we need to make a difference in the lives of other people. Absolutely. But it no, does no good to feed people and clothe people and provide shelter for people if we do not present them with the one thing they need more than anything. And that's Jesus. You see, that's what politicians get wrong. 
Both parties think that if they give you enough or let you keep enough, then you'll support them. That they'll stay in power. That they'll make the decisions. And what they both don't realize is none of that stuff really matters. Jesus is all that matters. Listen to what 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 6 and 7 says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, the reason you go through trials is so that you can see God at work in your life and you can see the evidence whether you're saved or not. It goes on and says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. You see, most of us think if I had more money, if I had more wealth, if I had more land, if I had more inheritance, I would finally have the value and the self-worth that I really need. And yet Peter says, your faith, the faith that you have been given through Jesus Christ is more precious than any amount of wealth you can ever accumulate. Any more treasures than you can pile up. Because listen to what it goes on and says. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of these days, whether it's through the rapture or the Lord just calls me home, on that day, the amount of money that I have in my account and you have to remember this. I have seven daughters. And so unless they marry into some serious money, I'm going to have nothing. All right? It ain't going to make a difference. The day the Lord calls me home, it's not going to matter how big or how small my home is. The day the Lord calls me home, it's not going to matter if I'm still driving my 2008 Dodge Caravan that's rusted on the side, faded on the top, smells like seven kids have puked and everything else in it. It don't matter. <laughs> because on that day, it won't matter. And friends, you and I have got to get back to living this way. That the blessings of God are wonderful. And I'm thankful for the blessings of God. I am thankful for a roof over my head and for healthy children and, and enough money to pay our bills. I am thankful for you. But on that day, none of that's going to matter because I'm going to stand before Him who can judge my soul. I'm going to stand before the One who has made a way for me to enter into heaven or is going to tell me, depart from me. I never knew you. And there won't be any complaining. There won't be any bribing. There won't be anything that can change it any more than this one simple truth. Have I received and accepted the most valuable gift that God could give me? His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sin and for yours. And the third and final thing tonight is this. The kingdom of God will grow and spread the kingdom of God is more valuable than anything. And third and finally, the kingdom will not be for everyone. You say, Jake, you just preached on hell like two weeks ago. Why you got to go bringing it up again? You know why I'm bringing it up again? Because verse 47 comes after what? 
Now, hold on a second. Now, now I know you all didn't go to McLeansboro, so you're not quite the same standard here. But no, verse 47 is what we're looking at because it comes after verse. If Jesus just talked about heaven and hell, and he turns around in verse 47, let's look what it says. Again, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven <clears throat> is like dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good in vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing, and gnashing of teeth. You see, I can't believe you went there again. Jesus not only said it, but He explained it. And friends, tonight I do believe when the Bible says that God desires that no man should die lost, that that's what He means. I do believe that when Jesus died on the cross, that His sacrifice was big enough for the whole world. But the Bible clearly teaches that hell is going to be full of people. Full of people who had been given the opportunity to repent. You say, Jake, I don't believe that anybody's going to go to hell. I don't believe that a loving God sends people to hell. I don't believe there is any way possible that God would allow someone to go to hell. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God is compassionate. That God is long-suffering, but that God is just, and that God is holy, and sin will not enter into His presence. Friends, I have watched my wife dress my girls up in the prettiest dresses, right? And she drags them into picture time, and they're crying, and they're fighting, and they're screaming, and no one wants to be there in those weird-looking outfits, right? But those pictures, they're done. It doesn't look like a kid's even been crying, right? You put them up on your wall. Your friends and families come over. Oh, those are so beautiful. Oh, they look so wonderful. Oh, they look so precious. They look, oh, oh I just they're just so amazing. It's amazing, though, at our house, the first kid's got a bunch of pictures. Second kid has a few pictures. And if you came to visit our house, you'd only think we had two. But... Uh, but that's how we view them, right? But I want you to look up here tonight. That child that you love, that child that was your miracle baby, friends, if they die without Jesus, hell will be their eternal home. That parent that raised you, that was a good provider, that, that took you in when maybe your earthly father didn't really want you or wasn't there, friends, they might have given you everything to be successful in life if they do not know Jesus. Hell will be their eternal home. You say, Jake, that coworker I've got, I know their lifestyle is different than mine, and, and I know they, they don't think the same way I do, and, but they're good people, and, and they're, just, they're just good. And I don't want to talk to them about the Lord because you know, I don't want to upset them. Look up here. If they die without Jesus, they'll spend an eternity in hell. You say, Jake, I just don't believe that way. Then you have disagreed with Jesus. Because Jesus says there's coming a day when everything will be sorted 
one in this group and the other in this group. And in Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse 28, the Bible describes it like this. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, I preach a lot of funerals. And it's my privilege to preach a lot of funerals. But I always, no matter what funeral I preach, use the same Bible verses. And you're saying, well, Jake, I, I've been to some of your funerals and they do sound all the same. And this is the reason. One, because the everyone that loses a loved one needs to hear that there is a heaven. And they need to hear what it's like. And they need to hear something else, what it takes to get there. Now, I love if I know you to talk about you and tell funny stories, and I'm probably even going to cry for some of you. No, I'm just, I'll try to, no, that was a joke. But that's the truth. Because, friends, people can be great fathers. They can be wonderful mothers. They can be the funniest, best friend that you ever worked with. They can be your best motorcycle riding buddy. But if they don't know Jesus. Heaven is not their home. And that's why I'm thankful that one of these days at my funeral, when it's all old music, by the way, that I hope whoever preaches my funeral will get up there and do two things. Talk about what heaven's like and what it takes to get there. Because friends, all the accolades that you can get all the wonderful things that people can say about you, it does not matter if Jesus doesn't say that you are His. And so tonight I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me. No one looking around. Tonight I want to ask you one simple question. Do you know without the shadow of a doubt that you belong to Jesus? Tonight if you're here, I'm not going to look. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to ask that everyone closes their eyes tonight. Not, I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to do anything. But if you're here tonight and you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life and tonight if you know that if you were to die tonight that you'd go home to be with Him but you just slip up your hand. No one looking around, I'm asking you that. I'm not looking around myself. And I am praying that this room is full of people with their hands up. You can put them down if you would. And tonight, if you are not able to raise your hand, I want you to know, God loves you. He proved that by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you. And He died on that cross, not for His sins, but for your worse. He was buried and rose again, giving victory over death and the grave. And the Bible says that if you will call upon His name, confess your sins, ask Him to come into your heart and life as the Lord and Savior, that He'll save you tonight. You say, preacher man, I've done so many bad things. Jesus knew before He ever died for you. And He died anyway. You say, Jake, I've not done very many bad things. I don't know why I need salvation. 
Your sin is like filthy rags because your righteousness is like that, the Bible says. So tonight, the need is there. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, Jake, I know I'm saved, but boy, I just, I've just not lived it. I've let the things of this world come in before God. I don't pray like I used to. I don't worship like I used to. I don't read like I used to. I don't, I don't share my faith like I used to. I just, I've let the things of this world begin to just creep in. There's an altar for you tonight to come and get alone and say, God, restore that joy and that desire that I have to love you with everything that I have. Lots of things you could pray about tonight. But this time of invitation is for you and me to do business with God. I'm going to be standing right down here in the front in just a minute. If you're under conviction tonight and ready to give your heart and life to Jesus, I'll be standing right here. Maybe you're here tonight, you're saying, Jake, I know I'm saved, but I've never been baptized, and I'm ready to follow the Lord in obedience. Maybe it's something else God's been laying on your heart. Know that tonight can be that night that God changes and works in your life in a mighty and powerful way.